Hi, listeners. Before we get to the episode, we want to take a moment to address the June 24th Supreme Court decision to overturn Roe v. Wade. This decision stripped away the legal right to have a safe and legal abortion. Restricting access to comprehensive reproductive care, including abortion, threatens the health and independence of all Americans. This decision could also lead to the loss of other rights. To learn more about what you can do to help, go to podvoices.help. We encourage you to speak up, take care, and spread the word. Hi there, my name is Jenny Vasquez Newsom, and I am the guest host of season two of Mission Megaphone, a podcast production of Growth Network Podcast. In this season of Mission Megaphone, we are amplifying the overlooked leadership experiences and expertise of leaders of color. These conversations will challenge traditional notions of leadership, disrupting the status quo by centering the skill, ingenuity, and capabilities of impactful BIPOC identifying leaders from across industries. And today, my guest is Urvashi Bhatnagar, a healthcare executive whose career spans clinical care, research, and clinical instruction in physical medicine and rehabilitation, advocacy, strategy, and operations consulting for leading healthcare organizations. Along with Dr. Paul Anastas, Urvashi is a co-author of a new book, The Sustainability Scorecard, How to Implement and Profit from Unexpected Solutions. And I am so thrilled to be in conversation with you today, Urvashi. Thank you for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. I'm thrilled. Yes. So I'd love to just start broadly and have you tell us a little bit more about what you do. And we can define that pretty broadly and what you do can extend beyond profession. But really, tell us a little bit more about yourself. Yeah, absolutely. I just call myself a healthcare nerd. I am passionate about healthcare and wellness, and I tend to define healthcare and wellness pretty broadly. I would say that traditionally, as we think about care delivery and things like that, we think about providers, we think about uh, clinical trials and that kind of thing. But whether you are a provider or a patient or an insurance agency, wherever you may be in the ecosystem, I think we tend to function in silos and we forget that ultimately at the 50,000 foot level, we are here to serve each patient. And when we think about risk, how much of risk is tolerable as it relates to negative externalities to that one patient? None. We don't want any risk. We don't want to have negative externalities. And when we think about externalities, absolutely everything we do in our environment in in the economy affects personal health and wellness. So the products we use on a daily basis, you know, when we discard objects from our home, whether they are electronics or food waste or whatever it might be, they ultimately disintegrate and degrade into landfills that ultimately affect groundwater and air quality that ultimately affect our health and wellness. So we've gotten to the point, I think, economically where healthcare functions in a silo and Mm. people consider wellness as a singular track. And we really need to broaden our minds and broaden our definition of health and wellness and realize that there is a very large community health, population health aspect to this that's really informed by our overall economic activities, where you live, the air you're breathing, the the groundwater coming through your taps, all of that stuff. And that's the area that I focus on. I really look at large populations. What are the risks and exposures that are affecting them? How can we broaden our analysis of what our patient base is affected by, and then really start working to put creative solutions in place that 
extend beyond the boundaries of what is occurring commonplace in the market. So looking at strategic partnerships and other ways to leverage data and analytics to really impact communities on the ground. The work that you do is so macro level, systemic, like really big work. What does that look like on the day to day for you? Like how do, how do you do that work? Yeah, um, it's exciting. I must say I started out as a provider. So I think that ground level understanding of patient care is really important and really understanding when strategies are implemented by leaders in large organizations, what does that really translate to for the patient experience and patient outcomes? So I think that really helps in creating cross-functional teams and developing a high-performing team that is equipped within themselves to problem solve together. We may not have all the answers, we may not cover every competency, but we're creative enough within each other to develop solutions. And that's a lot of what my daily work looks like now. So I focus on growth and business development. I have a background in consulting. And so when I merge all of this together, it essentially, while every day looks different, a lot of it involves speaking with leaders in either healthcare organizations or payer institutions or even in retail health organizations, for example, Walgreens and organizations like that that we don't traditionally think about as healthcare players. But retail health is becoming a very big deal now. And I'm really glad that the boundaries are expanding. So I really work with leaders to help them connect with each other, conduct data exchange, redefine their products and processes and what that might look like for their patient base. Wow. It's, it's a field very different than my own. So I love learning and hearing, you know, that that work. And yet a field that impacts me, impacts the folks on an individual level. You know, like really, I think what, what's resonating with what you're saying is that there are people experiencing these big, big systems. And there are people that are living within the macro level experiences that we're, we're talking about. So I, I appreciate that connection that you name in, in that. Absolutely. And you hit upon such an important point there. And I discuss that in my book where we talk about 21st century absurdities, that we passively accept all of these 21st century absurdities, that we think it's just completely okay to have poor air quality, but we're not thinking about it. We're not checking EPA data on our zip code every day. Yet when our kid is sick or you're running to the ER or whatever it is, you're not thinking about daily exposure that's occurring over a long period of time. We're thinking, well, what did you eat? And did you fall? And what's the latest bug from daycare? You're thinking of all of these things. And yes, these inputs are very important. A lot of times immediate inputs are a trigger, but they're, they're usually triggered by 21st century absurdities that exist in our environment and are pervasive. And we shouldn't have to as consumers, as patients, and quite simply as human beings, we shouldn't be forced to passively accept these externalities of our economic actions. I shouldn't have to say, well, I wore some eyeliner today and I regularly use this brand and, you know, it has a lot of reproductive toxicity effects and, and I'm going to use this product or products like this for 20, 30 years of my life. Watch every YouTube video about the best application. And then we end up with all of these conditions and declining fertility rates. And yet we don't think about what we are 
wearing, what we're consuming, that might have an effect on our health and wellness. And we just never considered the trade-offs. And neither did large corporations when this stuff started, when, when the manufacturing and research and development started whenever it did, they probably didn't have the knowledge. They probably didn't design this stuff out because they didn't know that, you know, endocrine disrupting chemicals were going to have such a high impact on reproductive wellness or any other kind of wellness. But now we know better. We understand that these trade-offs are unacceptable. And it really is up to us to leverage our voice and our impact in the economy to not only champion for change, but also create and design products that are better for you. So I'd love to hear your origin story to, you know, what were these foundational experiences that kind of led you on this trajectory and into this work? Yeah, I actually was really lucky. I went right after my undergrad, I completed an internship in India. And I worked in one of Asia's largest polio wards. And of course, polio was on its way to being eradicated. I think um, at that time, there were probably one or two active cases a year. So I'm definitely aging myself because, <laughs> because polio is eradicated now. But, but the effects of polio live on, right? Post-polio syndrome is a condition that affects people years after active polio has left their system. And so a lot of times these patients need reconstructive surgery and things like that. They really need a lot of physical and occupational therapy in order to get back to some kind of functional level where they can be contributing members to society and support themselves financially. So I worked in a polio ward where there was a really, really inspiring leader by the name of Dr. Matthew Verghese, who was called out by Bill Gates as a, one of Gates' heroes for his inspiring work in the post-polio syndrome world, in polio world. And in working with him and learning from him over that six-month period, one of the biggest takeaways that I had was that one-time visits with providers were important, of course. Um, and surgical intervention is important. But so much of his work was focused on social and environmental determiners of health and health equity. And at that time, of course, there wasn't a whole lot of public conversation on this as providers and as public health students. We know these words and we know the impact of all of these initiatives. But it was interesting because I never saw that being implemented by other providers in as robust a manner as he did. And it created a very big impression on me. So when I started working outside of that hospital, I came to the US to the work and did all kinds of things. I continued to look for ways to integrate health equity, social and environmental determiners of health initiatives and everything I was doing. So that was a lot of my focus when I was in clinical care. And then I asked, I moved on to the population health world and looking at large subsets of populations and trying to work in healthcare on a more strategic level, that has remained my focus. That's wonderful. When you think about like the course of your career and just all the spaces that you've led in and the work you do now, how would you define leadership? It can be such a big, ambiguous word sometimes. There's so many definitions. But for you, Urvashi, how do you define leadership? Oh, wow. Um, that's a big question. I would say that people now are looking for leaders that are visionary. And that might look like different things at different times. Sometimes you are looking for someone who will not take no for an answer. Sometimes you're looking for someone who isn't satisfied with the solutions that are displayed and they're looking to see whether something else can be designed. Whatever it might be, we're looking for conscientious 
leaders who are looking to make an impact at a broader level, as opposed to just watching the bottom line every quarter. And let me just say for the record, that's extremely important. However, it should not come at a trade-off for human health and wellness, for environmental wellness, because at the end of the day, there's a very strong business case for why all of that is materially extremely important to businesses. So leaders that are visionary, I think, are really, really important in today's environment because they are going to define the course of that particular firm or that industry for the next 50 to 100 years to ensure that our kids still know that these firms exist at that time. And, and they're able to successfully redefine themselves and stay relevant and deliver upon the promises that people are demanding of them. I want to unpack a question with you that's coming up for me in thinking about visionary leadership in the work that you do, um, the bottom line, broader macro level impacts of organizations and, and business and on health and wellness. And it feels like sometimes the bottom line is urgent. We can name it. We can point to it. We need to focus on that. It's easier. And then some of, I think, your vision, the work that you do is saying yes and, and really kind of shedding light on the importance of these other factors that I would say, like, maybe don't feel, quote unquote, that urgent, that making that connection is a little bit more distant. How do you, like, mend that disconnect? And in your vision, in your work, in your leadership, how do you ensure that it, it remains as urgent as the bottom line, as these other aspects that, that may pull attention in other ways? I think there's a, I, I forget who said it, but I think there's a very famous quote on how problems cannot be solved at the level that they were created. And so what I would say is that very often, and, and this is just something that I've found as I've been working in this space, that a lot of my, whether it is narrative or crafting business solutions or crafting business cases, a lot of it often involves not talking about why we're doing this and how our focus is on population segment ABC or on sustainability and human health and wellness. Because the thing is that a lot of times when these solutions are developed, people are very focused on the next quarter and the next quarter and things like that. And, and that sort of thinking actually, I think sometimes makes them assume that certain innovations or certain even process improvements, not innovations, just something that you can do better this quarter than what was occurring last quarter. It, it makes it, them think that this is impossible. We can't possibly create that pilot. We can't possibly launch that into our next phase. But when we look at it more broadly from a business case level to say, okay, if I created a drop-in replacement in, at a manufacturing level, or if I uh, created a strategic partnership that could supply something or whatever it might be, and that could impact our business operations and create X percent margin or whatever it is, often that's the compelling factor. Um, the, the ancillary benefit is that there is reduced exposure, there's reduced risks, there's going to be increased market penetration because consumers really, really care about what's going on in their body, especially in certain segments where like food and beverage, cosmetics, like baby food. There's certain markets where people first think about safety and go beyond that to think about whether something is truly good for them. And, and in some sectors, that's a little bit more opaque. 
And the reason for that is that sometimes some sectors are just more complex. For example, in healthcare, we're so overwhelmed with the lack of transparency in our healthcare billing and what a certain service might be and what it includes and all of these things that we don't have the knowledge to ask our providers, well, what's also the side effect of the anesthetic gas that you're giving me? And is there like a green chemistry option for this? Is there like a certain innovation that we could, you know, I read about something. People aren't normally going to do that level of research to understand anesthetics to that degree. So going back to my quote on problems can't be solved at the level they were created, it's up to us at the business level to make the business case such that something can be replaced more easily or outline a roadmap for when it can either pilot or just become the norm and actually put the momentum behind launching that and work with business leaders to do that because the business case is so compelling. Thank you for sharing and for working through that that question for me. I'd love to hear what your thoughts are. Like, How, how does who you are inform how you lead or inform kind of the perspective you have on this problem, if at all? Like, how, do, how does that shape your work? Yeah, absolutely. I have a lived experience of being a patient. I had an accident when I was very young and I had surgeries and physical therapy. And of course, I was very lucky and recovered from the experience and, you know, play sports and hang out with my son. And it hasn't created an impact in my life that way. Whereas it very easily could have if I hadn't had that level of intervention or that level of advocacy from my parents and relatives to really understand the healthcare system and the inputs that I was receiving. So I think my lived experience really informs my leadership and my understanding of what we're doing because at the end of the day, healthcare is very personal and wellness is personal. And so sometimes you just need a gut check on whether something is good or bad and whether it's going to work or not. And and sometimes if you think that a certain solution is better and you've done the research for it, uh, then you're able to define a business case and sell that effectively so that it receives the investment that it deserves and you're able to push solutions that receive the investment that they deserve. So a lot of my leadership is centered from the learnings around my personal experience, but I will say that I'm pretty big on servant leadership. I am all about teams and collaboration and making sure that the people that are surrounding me have absolutely everything they need and more in order to be successful. And as long as the team and the people are taken care of, it really doesn't matter what you're working on. They're going to figure it out and they're going to develop a solution for it as long as they're happy, they're taken care of, and, and they have the resources they need to be successful. Yeah, I love that. I love that um, as you're describing kind of your leadership, really thinking about that that blend of vision and, and thinking about solutions to problems using new tools or new frameworks and new just new ways of thinking. And particularly in this moment, uh, I think since the pandemic and everything that's shifted, it is the time for visionary leadership to rethink. But then also visionary leadership that's connected to those around the servant leadership that that is not disconnected from those who are also in the work and, and doing that. 
Have you found across your career, like spaces and places where that leadership, your leadership, your kind of authentic leadership has thrived, like in, in spaces that it's thrived or are spaces that, you know, maybe inhibits that that's kind of more challenging to lead in that way? Um, and what, what would you say? What have been those experiences for you? Because no, no road is smooth, of course. <laughs> sure. Absolutely. I will say that I'm really thankful to play in a space that is inherently people focused. I think um, in a way, like you might see in the financial services industry or other industries, I won't name any, I, nothing really comes to mind at this moment. But I, I think uh, because healthcare is so uniquely patient focused, the people that work in healthcare are here for a reason. If you're a provider or a health system leader, um, you're typically not in it to become the next billionaire. And I know our landscape is changing. Um, it is. But at the end of the day, people tend to work in healthcare because they're passionate about human health and wellness. They're passionate about having positive outcomes for their community. And those are the really, really big compelling factors. It's a very mission-driven space. And so I think some of my experience and leadership style has been driven by that because that's really what motivates people. So for example, like in health systems, if certain doctors receive higher ratings and they're really appreciated, they have really high patient engagement, that's really what's going to drive the success of the health system. It really cannot be something that's ignored. You're not putting a, a new blush out there and then becoming disconnected from the product once the sale has been made. I will say that, yeah, I mean, there's challenges every day. That that said, there's challenges every day, leadership-wise. And I'll say that I think the biggest transition for me occurred when I moved from clinical care to data science and then data science to consulting. There's an element of being out of your comfort zone and um, and really trying to understand what are the main drivers for that role to be successful for the industry to really make an impact, how those leaders can be seen as strategic players. And so I think challenges come in crafting messages that will resonate and really compel those people to either invest in a certain product or work on a certain use case or a business issue. So my challenges were more around that than anything else. Thank you. Thank you for sharing. I just, you know, we always want to think about you know, leadership is hard. It's not easy um, and never will be, particularly for doing it well. And so always exploring those tough moments. That That's, I think, an important part to the story, the narrative of it all. Absolutely. A compelling story comes to mind when I was in business school. One of my professors, you know, showed on the little monitor that we had that he had a healthcare case in, in our competitive strategy course. And he was talking about how oftentimes Excel and well-modeled and well-thought-out algorithms could be more successful in identifying a diagnosis and charting a care management course for a patient or even a subset of patients than doctors that were either, you know, on the road to burnout or, you know, things like that, or even the average doctor that's working 40 hours and is well rested and all of that kind of stuff. And I remember every clinician in the room 
was just offended, you know, (laughs) and we couldn't believe that an Excel would be better than us or even a team of us. And I I would say that um, I still see that playing out in the industry where um, I think data and analytics is an extremely powerful tool. It's absolutely nothing without the human element, whether you think about chat GPT or you think about the next, you know, the next solution that's going to support us in the evolution of healthcare. All of these things are really great tools that can provide you really great insights. But I think what we need more of is data literacy in healthcare from providers and also from patients to really understand what they're looking at. So we need better patient education. We need providers that are less resistive to the information that they're absorbing and actioning just because it's coming from an Excel sheet or a, a large subset of data that was analyzed by people that didn't have three PhDs. But healthcare is changing, and I do see how chief analytics officers and data officers are becoming extremely strategic players in the healthcare market. And I'm really, really excited to see that evolution happen where they become counterparts to chief medical officers and seeing the marrying of that practice because it's going to just make everything so much better. Yeah. A lot is shifting right now. Like we're watching it. And so it's it's important to think about the opportunity and the essentials of what a human can, cannot be replaced um, in, in that sense. Really being clear on that, I think. So yeah, thank you for sharing. Because we're having a lot of conversations around leadership and just really expanding or reframing or exploring our definitions of, of leadership. And I'd love to hear from your standpoint, what do you think is a common misperception of leadership that folks tend to have or we tend to kind of exercise in today's world? What would you say, if anything, what's a common misperception that we assign to leadership? I think there is an assumption that leadership is disconnected from what's actually occurring and the outcomes of the business. And, you know, in some cases that might absolutely be true. But I do think that it is very often not, uh, I don't think those examples are part of the majority. I think leadership is, whether it's a certain leadership in a certain industry or just leadership as a broad term, leadership occurs at every level in an organization. I think people consider themselves now ambassadors of certain initiatives and certain sort of themes of their of the product that they're working on. I know people that are extremely passionate about sustainability or extremely passionate about wellness in industries that you wouldn't traditionally connect to being green. And I know that they're working extremely hard for for those products to be successful and to actually provide the maximum value. And by value, I mean redefining what value looks like. It doesn't mean that the car is going to take you from A to B or uh, or the algorithm is going to be, you know, 0.01 seconds faster and returning a certain outcome. It means that it's going to actually not only provide you the answer, but it's going to provide you an answer that is better for people, better for the planet, and overall redefine what success looks like. So, I think there are people that, uh, and leadership that is extremely involved in what's being put out into the marketplace and is being a lot more thoughtful about what's being put out than people really assume. When you think about 
leaders who inspire you, who you look to, Urvashi, and points of inspiration that, that inform your own work. And I know you talked about the doctor that was really informative in those foundational years of your career. Who else comes to mind when you think about leaders that, that inspire you? I won't call out a specific leader. Um, we cover amazing firms and amazing leaders in our book, and they're incredible. But I think what has happened recently is that, recently in the past five to 10 years, is that there's a lot of personal leadership that is coming to the forefront. And you can see that in the voice of the consumer. People are far more vocal about what they want and their demands. And when firms don't deliver on their promises, they're very quick to call it out and to let all of their followers know that a certain product isn't really delivering on what they said there would or, or that a sustainability report was published. But, you know, it was really meaningless because 10 of those metrics were just reframed from the first one and it really doesn't have an impact on what's really occurring. So I think what I would say is that I'm really impressed with the personal leadership that consumers are demonstrating. And I think it's such a compelling factor in what is causing this whole industry shift where people are really focusing on now underserved populations, whether you're looking at now like the recent Oak Street acquisition by CVS or anything else. I mean, there's so much more movement in healthcare now with the strategic partnerships that we wouldn't have even thought about 10 to 15 years ago. And a lot of it is driven by business cases that are focused on the voice of the consumer, the, the people that are underserved that are getting left out as it relates to health and wellness. Um, Kroger is now getting involved in clinical trials because they have access to a whole consumer base that can expand their understanding of certain disease conditions and they have access to certain geographies based on where they're located and they can start collaborating with clinical trials uh, firms to deepen their understanding of certain disease conditions in certain population subsets that we just didn't have information on before. So I think there's a lot of positive work in the industry that's going on. Of course, nothing is perfect, but there's a lot of positive movement being driven by the voice of the consumer, the demands of the consumer, and making up for that gap. From what I'm hearing, it's like either you're a shift in leadership power, like where the consumer, the individual, the person, there's a lot of power in that voice. And that is inspiring, really thinking about you know, the ways that we, even on a micro level, a small moment, you know, and particularly with marginalized perspectives or underrepresented perspectives, there is a lot of power that can inform the work of businesses or the work of, you know, a sector or whatnot. That is inspiring. <laughs> so. Absolutely. And I, I always choose to be an optimist because there's just no other way you can continue to work in a disciplined and motivated fashion for a certain mission, any mission for a long period of time. That's right. Yes, we can. We can and we will improve things. We we're able to. So, yes, I love that. When thinking about this idea of untapped leadership, like really thinking about anything that we've overlooked or not thought of or really doesn't come into consideration as often as it should. What are a couple of things that you would want listeners to do or think about or question after listening to this, regardless of how they identify or the work that they do? What comes up for you when you're kind of thinking about that untapped leadership potential that we have? I think there's an unprecedented opportunity for individuals to create business solutions that 
are quite simply just not reasonable for large organizations to undertake. Small businesses and startups have a huge opportunity to be agile and quickly pivot and leverage promising solutions to come to market with something that provides a true solution that large organizations just quite simply cannot do because they can't move as quickly and large ships are hard to turn. So when I think about anyone listening to this podcast or anyone thinking about innovation um, and untapped leadership, I'd encourage them to think about how personal health and wellness or human health and wellness and the environment cannot be uncoupled from profitability. So that's one. And second, I would say is that once you have done your diligence and think that you have come up with a framework or a solution that's ready to be tested in the market, I would encourage them to go for it because there's a lot of funding out there in the market now. There's a lot of momentum behind small businesses and solutions that are innovative. There is a whole market that is demanding these solutions. And so there's no time like the present. Optimist. I love it. Yes. <laughs> yes. Thank you. So my last question for you, what is your big ambition for this year? Rashi, what is your year going to look like? What do you have going on? Oh my gosh. I, 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 I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Yes. <laughs> I would love to be involved in channeling investments into mm -hmm. promising solutions that Paul and Assis and I wrote about and are involved with. So I'd love to take a leap into that world and really start actioning some of the things that we've been talking about and also continue the work that I do in healthcare. I love working with parent provider organizations. I love working with retail organizations. That's a world I'm really passionate about, but I'm also really passionate about expanding those boundaries and seeing how we can really create change and invest in solutions that would be pathbreaking for the future for the next 50 to 100 years. So that's something I hope to get into this year. Awesome. I love it. I love the vision. I just hear it in your work and your insight and everything that you're sharing. So I thank you so much for joining in this conversation. Is there somewhere that folks can kind of connect with you or anywhere that you want to point folks to to stay connected? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you can find me on LinkedIn, Ravashi Vitnagar. And then our book is available on Amazon. It's a sustainability scorecard. And we have a website and you can reach us through the contact form. So that's thegreenovationproject.com. Awesome. And we'll be sure to share those links as well. But Urvashi, thank you so much for sharing your insights, your expertise, and your vision with us in conversation. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. I was thrilled to be here.